0: For a sense of identity I think to myself well that's so multi-layered currently it's 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 thinking what it does it mean to what does it mean to be a therapist what does it mean to be pregnant what does it mean to be an educator with an NHS background you know what what do all these layers bring into lots multiple roles at a time when we're we're reconfiguring our roles again with with the stress and anxiety that's going on. You have found the Thinking Mind podcast.
1: Today we're speaking with Dr. Kumaila Thule, who is a psychiatrist by background, but also works as a relationship therapist and works with patients who are expecting. We talk about a number of different things, including how the current situation with COVID-19 has affected her and affected her work, how it affects people who are in relationships and how it affects couples who are expecting. We talk about mindfulness meditation and different ways that it might be helpful to think about the current crisis and not just how to cope with the situation, but the opportunities for growth as well.
0: You have found the Thinking Mind podcast.
1: So it's Very nice to be here today with Dr. Camilla Thule. Dr. Thule, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh,
0: no, thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: It's very nice to be back in the wheelhouse of mental health. We did a podcast with an infectious disease doctor, and that was for a very sort of concrete medical perspective on the evolving situation. So, if that's what you guys want to listen to, I would encourage you to go to that episode. But today we're going to talk a little bit more about the mental health aspects of what's been going on and how that relates to pregnancy as well, because that's obviously a huge concern. So maybe Dr. Tooley, if you could talk a bit about your professional experience, your sort of journey in your your career until now.
0: Yeah no so so I guess quite a varied background. Um, obviously trained initially um, in in medicine as a doctor down in Brighton, um, quite a multicultural place. I did a psychology degree there as well. You can do a year for during that time, and I, I set up the psychiatry society in my uni. I was always aiming to, towards mental health well being. Very very interested in that, and then I I had my foundation years. You know, so junior doctor years. Travelled over to New Zealand as part of that. And, and then from there, I, I came back over to England, started uh, as a psychiatry trainee with South London University and, and then I was very interested in medical education <clears throat> and relationship um, work as well, um, on a background of some, I suppose, personal experiences too. And I decided to take some out-of-programme time. So I did a diploma in medical education and relationship counselling. And actually, I found that that was, I suppose, my niche. I absolutely loved everything that I was doing. And, and I actually exited from psychiatry and now work half of my time um, as a medical educator for more dissimulation and the other half of my time as a relationship counsellor for um, Relate, which is a, a charity organisation looking after couples. In a, I suppose in my interest professionally into this, regarding perinatal work, I run a number of the courses for, for more dissimulation on uh, perimental ma- uh, mental health. And I guess my background into, I suppose, having clinical experience that way is that I've been working this year um, in voluntary capacity for a perinatal psychotherapy team. And I've also um, had a year infant observation at Tavistock where I was looking into to things that way. So that's that's my kind of professional background, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated by relationship counselling and how how therapy can help people communicate better with each other what what drew you to it personally
0: so I I guess actually looking at mental health and and really wanting to help with mental health and well-being and and entering into psychiatry and and I've had a number of frustrations through through that process and I guess coming into it I thought to myself well the social relationships that we have are, are the fabric um, that holds our well-being actually as if the first the first fundamental And if you actually look, there's a Holmes-Wraith scale of most stressful life experiences. Pretty much everything relationship-orientated is at the top of that. So many experiences that are are most stressful in life as humans that are around our relationships. So I I think for a long time, I was very very mindful of that and and thoughtful on what does that mean. From a a personal perspective, uh, my my family, my mum had challenges with mental health herself. And I, and I very much believe that the 40-year marriage that, my, that she has with my dad is the thing that pulled her through um, those experiences. And, and, I, and I guess also I've had challenging relationships. You know, we go into these things as therapists because we've had difficult experiences ourselves as well. And, and I hope that that adds to, to levels of understanding as much as very much recognising every person's experience is unique to themselves. But I've had, you know, difficult challenges as well within relationships. And and that's really made me very thoughtful of wanting to learn and understand more around that and and really want to help others. I'm now very happily married and, uh, you know, love my partner to bits. But, you know, I'm sure at the same time with all the the skills and training you have, you still have your conflict-ridden days um, where I I joke with my partner, just because I'm trained in this stuff doesn't mean that I'm not going to... Have a a row with you, and that's quite
1: healthy in itself. (laughs) Yeah, of course. So it it sounds like I think a lot of people are like you in that they go into psychiatry with this desire to increase people's well-being, and I think psychiatry has has a tremendous opportunity to be holistic. Hmm. But as you say, a lot of people go into it and feel frustrated. I think for lots of different reasons. One of them might be the sort of limited scope of the medical model uh, and others might be the fact that we, we don't actually necessarily go into the the more social and psychological aspects perhaps uh, as much as we should. But it sounds like you found your niche where, you f- where your interest and skill set kind of aligned and where you could be of maximal benefit to, to people. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I, I guess for, for all of the above reasons, there's, there's frustrations that, 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 that might be held, and I, and I absolutely agree with you that it's also a specialty that offers the ability to holistically think around things and, and help um, patients. For me, myself, I guess my real passion into relationships came out through that training and, and it was something that I platformed into and I, and I love my work. And I, I guess it fits my model also for me that i feel i'm i'm getting in a little bit earlier to to influence things before they start off and, and certainly within psychiatry training it was for me always an interest in in child-based work um the earlier focus the preventative focus that one might to have around things as well
1: mm-hmm. what are the some of if you had to describe problems that you see really really commonly in relationships that you think gosh if people knew these one two and three things it would have a huge amount of benefits what would they be?
0: So I, I, I guess one of the things would be not not necessarily saying that it's one two or three things <laughs> um, it would be probably saying uh, with a very light touch everyone's relationship is unique um, and not to, to come into believing that you have an understanding of what goes on behind closed doors um, for a couple. Within that uh, there's there's very much the, the fundamentals of communication being a bedrock um, to, to all relationships um, and a focus on which ways we care and cope and, and how a couple can support each other through that. And, and I guess lots of the work will initially start on focusing on on building up communication skills so a couple can explore and understand one another more so that they don't build on assumptions of, of knowing the other person's inner world. Uh, and then into that, the, there's also looking at family work, looking at the past experiences that that people may have had, that might frame how they look at their relationships in the in the here and now. Knowing that, I guess the the, the dynamics that we have today are representative of dynamics that we may have had in our past relationships and really being respected and understanding of that as well getting that awareness helps so I I guess it's understanding and it's it's building skills um, but it's it's unique positions for all and and there's very varied experiences that come into the counselling room.
1: Yeah so obviously treating every relationship as an individual thing is very important and also Building up those communication skills and really being able to recognize that there's often a gap between what you think the other person is thinking, feeling and experiencing and what they are actually thinking, feeling and experiencing and then building skills that help to bridge that gap.
0: It's really thinking through through those. I'd love to say that it was one or two or three things, and I think that's what a lot of couples may enter into the room thinking, "Right, give us one session, give us the the three things we need, and we'll we'll exit the room, and and that will be great." Um, and it's, I suppose, it's opening to um, the fact that there may be multiple layers to how a couple interact with one another, but the bedrock is the communication mm-hmm. first and foremost.
1: mm mm-hmm. Yes, and the other thing you mentioned, which I, I'd really love to. Expand on is the idea that our past experiences and events can really influence how we interact in the present with other people, with people in our lives now, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that.
0: Oh, well, I mean, I suppose that's so varied as, as well when we're kind of looking at it, but but I mean, there's there's basic models with thinking around um, attachment theory, thinking around how we we cope in, in difficult um, responses for in our relationships. And, and you know, and that I don't want to put terminology on that. I suppose in that way, but very much to focus on the fact that the experiences we've had before uh, may mean that we have a certain way of looking at the communication and the interactions and the interplay between us as in a, a couples in the current time. So I, I guess if if one has had as an example. Um, a parent where one felt that, that one wasn't heard or didn't have the space to be heard. Um, you know, an example, you, you, you've noticed your, your dad would tend to look at the newspaper um, and, and not look up from the newspaper. You know, a very trivial example. Um, it may feel that, that there's an impression when with you're with your partner that, that you'll equally be thinking, well, will they hear me? Will, will they be present? and perhaps it may even have an effect on what you even share because you you imagine that the other person won't be present won't be receptive to hear the the concerns or worries that you have but it's multi-layered and it's it's multi-relational as well it's not it's we think about parents first but it's the whole impact of a, a wider family and it can be intergenerational so going up to your grandparents strains as well so in an example there if if you if you knew that so, or experienced that your grandparents and you know, your parents had difficulties between them, there might be a concern in entering into a couple relationship of, well, what does that what what might that mean about you know the the, the wider family, how we integrate? There may be underlying concerns, worries, anxieties about what that mix will look like. I view these all in positive frames, though. It's gaining that understanding means that that we enter into conversations in in different ways, and and we then we can be really thoughtful of what both of our experiences, because of course it's both both per evil in the couple, and both having those different variety of experience, what that brings to the mix.
1: Yeah, so it's not a question of trying to dig up all of these negative things from the past, or how people have hurt you or, or traumatized you or, or whatever it is, but rather it's simply about formulating a roadmap for your own psyche where you simply build a working sort of formulation for how people in your life have affected you, how you've affected them, how events have affected you, and, and therefore what psychological what what psychological states you bring to your current relationships as a result, uh, and how you might perceive people around you as a result.
0: I, I think have a, a couple having awareness of the dif- difficult experiences for, for the other means that they they'll they'll be more tuned also to think about themes, particular triggers, particular time periods, particular instances which might be difficult for their partner, and that can be really helpful. Uh-huh. Um, but it is very much saying that not looking at these things as impacting us in all time moving forward, but actually looking and saying, well, well, that's one way that that things may have felt vulnerable um, before. What might that mean now? And and what other ways can one frame how one looks into things at the current time? And, and also the strengths. There can be great um, value and appreciation and empathy building from having had, these difficult experiences which again I, I think and I hope is some of the formation of people going into therapy where they have had it, difficult experiences themselves it builds the empathy and understanding.
1: Mm-hmm, of course I think we could probably do a whole podcast about just this topic but talking about the current situation with COVID and obviously this huge societal impact that it's had how has how your experience through this how has it impacted sort of your, your life and your work
0: so, I mean, I guess on on relationship perspectives, you know, there's a huge effect of of, of isolation at the moment, and and we you know what we can think about that of social distancing. And I, but I guess that goes again into a wider way and and thinking about, I suppose, in this podcast about pregnancy as well, and and what that represents. And and I'm currently pregnant um, as as well, which was another the personal reason for for, for doing this too. Uh, a multitude of of. Ex- I think when I think about anxiety, I, I I think around core anxieties we have as humans, which is around illness. We have the concern around illness and threats that may be coming that way, around our our sense of self, our identity, our, our loss of autonomy, um, and what what that might mean um, for us as well. And, and and I guess it's it's thinking within things around um, how we can support around those those kind of core concerns that we might have and rejection and isolation is another core concern too so if if you think that we've got those core fears all simultaneously going on in 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 social isolation it's it's trying to work around those things so you know I I guess I'm constantly thinking how can I limit the amount personally of, of time I spend focusing on COVID uh, that that I have a you know like I would with any anxiety anything that causes anxiety think I'll have a a set period of time for myself to look into this to keep updated but limit it for myself during the day so that that concern around illness doesn't overwhelm me for a sense of identity I think to myself well that's so multi-layered currently it's 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 thinking what it does it mean to what does it mean to be a therapist? What does it mean to be pregnant? What does it mean to be an educator with an NHS background? What, you know, what what do all these layers bring into not multiple roles at a time when we're we're reconfiguring our roles again with with the stress and anxiety that's going on and um, with the isolation of it's thinking yes, well, what would that mean for me? What does that mean for? My clients and their unique ways of of how things are impacting on them and and thinking about again setting those thoughts around the different anxieties and how they're forming them as a couple and and on on the perinatal work that I'm doing I'm seeing that fitting in in all different ways as well every mum is 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 thinking about the things themselves in very different ways there's there's some mums which are you know, reveling in, in a little, you know, in some or mums to be, reveling in some some extra time with their with their partner, and, and the fact that that's enabling some some time to be reflective before the birth. There's other there's other couples which are uh, entering into into strain of how to, as I'm seeing in my couple work itself across the board, how to manage the the juggles of of doing multiple things in a in a smaller environment where where you're having to kind of factor what work-life balance looks all in the same place with with your partner. And, And I guess for just understanding from relationship clients, when we have referrals, we tend to have referrals that peak around Christmas time and around summer holidays and and this this always makes a mark for me that i i think with 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 clients before christmas and before summer holidays what what might be the stresses that will be coming up in these times because we have heightened expectations um and we have heightened difficulties and stresses when we're in enclosed spaces for periods of time and and i guess this is a similar th- theme when we're thinking of being under isolation for a period of time how do we have our own space how do we work in the time that we have together and how do we manage the heightened anxiety that's present
1: yeah that's it's really interesting I think the situation firstly I think it's important to recognize that the uncertainty and all those fears you described are of course ever present in our lives but a situation like COVID really brings all of them out and really it really stops us from being able to sweep things sweep our fears under the carpet as we might normally do and all of a sudden we're facing things that you mentioned like illness and mortality much more directly at the same time as you mentioned because we're now living these very stripped back lives we're staying at home more we can't distract ourselves as much where people are really being forced to reckon with their lives in a way that they can't normally and really examine what it is that brings them fulfillment and what doesn't and what brings them stress and what doesn't. So it it really amplifies all of those sort of potential causes of anxieties and worries but at the same time is a tremendous opportunity for a, an increased level of consciousness and growth as well. How How have you been coping with the situation yourself you mentioned that limiting news of course is very important you want to stay updated but you don't want to like there's a there's a limit to how much new information is going to come out on a on a daily basis and i think past a certain point you're just going to be digging yourself into more sort of rumination so of course that makes sense How, how else have you been coping with the situation
0: um, I, I guess with with uh, with anxiety, you, you equally think, what, what's it? What's in my locus of control, and what's outside my my locus of control? So, when I'm thinking of anxiety, I I, I go into a little, and I, we try and reframe this. When I'm thinking with couples, when I'm thinking with pregnant mums, what 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 can I manage now, and can, can I shift, and what is that just outside of of my ability to to make a change or a difference in this, and and I think that that's a a very grounding thing of thinking, okay, well, I can I can come into to, to the day and, and do something today to try and structure in some routine that I've I perhaps not got um, as much of because of the fact that my work-life balance could easily overflow in, in the same space. I can make sure I still have a walk today that, that's going to get me a bit of, of exercise. And that's important for my my well-being, for, for my mental well-being, for my physical health. Um, and I'll keep, I'll make sure I'll keep a distance and I'll, I'll cross over the road. <laughs> if anyone comes close, I'll, I'll keep probably even over that two meter distance, but, but I can make sure I get a little bit of that physical, um, you know, time in for myself. Uh, I'll help in the ways that I can. So I, I'm certainly, my natural ways of coping, and I think this is something I often ask in therapy room: is what you know what would be your your natural ways of, of managing or thinking around situations in other at, other times. Maybe not using the word coping because sometimes coping can be loaded in itself as well. But but thinking about the the natural ways of managing through things for oneself, and, and I suppose I am somebody who does, and I, I do a lot. I can naturally become a little bit hypermanic, uh, when I encounter some, some worry. And and I guess I try and balance that with what what will be, again, conducive what things can I do, and at what points do I need to put the boundaries mm-hmm. up um, and try and let go of things.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's very Stoic in that sense, and I don't mean Stoic in the modern usage of the term, meaning sort of neutral, but actual classical Greek Stoicism. And, and the Stoics were we're actually thinking of doing an audio essay about stoicism on on the podcast because it's so relevant. But classical stoicism is all about trying to look at your immediate environment in as objective a way as possible and really focusing on what is it that I have any influence over changing or what don't I? And then choosing to focus your mental energies on the things which are changeable, which is also reflected in the serenity prayer that people might Mm. Be familiar with. It's commonly used in uh, in AA. Uh, Lord grant me the wisdom to change the things I can, but to have the to to accept the things I can't, and the wisdom to know the difference.
0: I've actually brought that serenity prayer sometimes into thinking around things with 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 people. I think it's it can be really helpful. So that does really strike strike a chord.
1: Yeah, it really gives you that clarity of thought. That it's so. It's so easy to slip into modes of thinking where you can spend hours. I, I think people, I'm not sure how much people outside of mental health realize this until you actually look at it and see yourself and see people doing this. You can spend hours ruminating about things that are going to have no meaningful difference in in how you live. And it's almost the, the the default of the brain to go into that mode it, it seems like and it's really an active process to sort of bring yourself out of it and that's why of course any introspective process whether it's therapy or journaling or, or meditation can be so helpful for creating those periods of clarity
0: I think that the two the two things that I've consistently seen um, reading through well-being literature is, is having reflective space being important and having the boundaries being important. And, and I do bring myself back to those cores again and think, okay, what, what spaces can you have to connect yourselves, to, to think around and think through things? And, and what points do you need to let go to kind of separate across? What can you let go of?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the letting go is something that isn't emphasised at all in modern society, really. We emphasise control a lot. How can we control our situation? How can we manipulate it to suit our needs, which of course is very useful. But there's no emphasis sort of implicit or explicit on how can we let go of things which are no longer useful. And letting go isn't, I think most people think of letting go as like a personality type. Like mm-hmm. some people can just let go and they're fine with it. But letting go is actually a, a set of skills that what, can very what... much be learned.
0: One thing I've often thought of is, um, is the brain and how the brain develops. And, of course, it goes through the, the lovely period of pruning through the synaptic pruning of cutting away at, at, and remodeling the brain. And that's part of the, the way that we develop the brain in such a, an, an ornate way. And, and, and that's, sometimes I think that's exactly what we also need in life. There's something for adding things and there's something for deciding what we subtract
1: Yes, like destruction can be just as useful useful as creation. Absolutely. Like, for example, if you think about how a statue is made, it starts from a solid block, which you then go inwards. You remove stone so that then the statue emerges from within the block rather than adding more material to make the statue. Yeah. Is there any particular place people can go to for information about COVID and how it relates to pregnancy so that people can get more sort of facts and be more aware of what they need to know at this time?
0: Yeah, I I think there's, there's obviously a whole range of information and it's evolving constantly. So again, a caution that when people are reading something, it is really important that perhaps we stick to like a couple of designated sources so that that doesn't pique um, concerns going through this period. Uh, I guess the the Royal College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists, they they have been writing and updating around thinking about pregnancy during COVID. And I know that the Royal College of Psychiatrists is going to um, potentially come forward with some guidelines, policy thoughts on things as well, but they will be changing with more evidence as it comes forward. But those would be two sources. And then uh, it, there's the government obviously keeping on what the government is just putting across and, and there's keeping in touch with the NHS. But it, I would say it's still limiting the amounts of time one one puts into into looking at these things day to day. And it's knowing that there will be changes with with more information as it comes forward.
1: Mm-hmm. So limiting the amount of time and respectable sources. So I think if anyone wants information from the Royal College of Obstetrics or the Royal College of Psychiatrists, you need only Google them and then you'll find the latest guidelines. But like Dr. Tulli said, it's very crucial to be aware that we're very much in the beginning stages of this and that to to get it'll take probably a period of years to fully, fully understand and fully get all of the relevant information so obviously new stuff's coming out all the time but just to be aware that this is a situation that's changing on a a day-by-day basis
0: yeah I, i i guess we all people look at at the moment is is thinking about what was was known previously and and i think some of that obviously still applies of thinking about um, pregnant women and, and how we would have flu we have our flu vaccines we have our whooping cough vaccines we, we, we're we trying to be mindful of the fact that infection can have an impact an increased impact for, for women and it's it's trying to pr- protect yourself still in all the ways you would have done previously thinking around those concerns um, and obviously it's it's keeping ourselves isolated in that context of, of thinking about things too but I think that knowing the the overall risk to mum to baby what preferences might look like later into pregnancies and and what needs and resources there there are that's going to be something that does shift um, as we continue into the weeks and months to come. Mm
1: -hmm. Have you found that in the current situation in your patients in, in your patients who are pregnant that there are Distinct new problems which have emerged because of what's been going on, or is it merely an amplification of problems which are more, uh, which are more common generally, and now they're just heightened as as a result?
0: I think my, my, my systemic training elements of me, I never I never like this or this, so I was like this and this, <laughs> um, I, and I and I guess again both um, will be will be coming across so. Before going into having a pandemic, it, it was already one of the most. Um, it's one of it can be one of the most challenging transitions to 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 go into and go through. Uh, we then put into the uncertainties in addition to pregnancy of what a pandemic represents. And yes, it is multi-layered, and there'll be new unique things that come forward for that for each woman. And there'll there'll be similar stresses that are amplified that are added into a. What what will I be now as a mum? What might the the it look like now for the health of baby? What what does it now look like for for how I I maintain doing different things? And now I'm working remotely as well, or or now I've got an additional concern of the health of of you know my wider family and, and partner in addition to the baby. You know, all these ways which there's there's more layers added into the picture. Mm-hmm.
1: And. What are the common mental health problems that typically emerge during the perinatal period?
0: So, I guess everything <laughs> can come forward. Um, so, I think first and foremost, it's it's it is thinking about preventive, proactive stresses. If you you are thinking about all the transitions you go through physical change in every way. Um, so obviously every trimester has its own physical symptoms, but they don't just work like that. They cross across all trimesters. And of course, morning sickness isn't just in the mornings. Uh, so you've got every interplay of, of physical concern that that can have impact. Um, and it's important to think around that first. And then you've got every level of, of change that can take place for an individual with thinking around what that looks for the home life um, versus a professional life, what that means for finances and concerns that they might be coming forward there, going across to maternity leave, uh, what it means for relationship dynamics. And it can be a, a risk period again for relationships during this time. There can be um, heightened concerns around partners feeling jealous over, over upcoming maybe sex changes um, you know during this time there can unfortunately be risks of domestic violence during um, pregnancy as well so every biopsychosocial factor can change across the, the perinatal period across being pregnant within that um, and within well-being um, being shifted and it, it being that important acknowledgement first because there is no normal and and we, we don't want to kind of put an experience that is otherwise really stressful and say well let's medicalize and, and think about going straight across to, to mental health. So that's how I come to that first but within that the I suppose depression rates will be around 10-15 percent obsessive compulsive disorder 2.5 to 9 percent and psychosis it can vary from one to two people in a thousand to up to Fifty percent risk of, of that if you have uh, had psychosis before, um, or you have you know up to sixty percent if you have psychosis and a family history. of. So you can see that the the rates there are are high. It needs to be taken at this absolutely at the same time in context of the massive transitions and shifts and stresses in every platform that can come forward for, for a pregnant woman and for their family.
1: Yeah. So of course, every transition period is. I suppose a period of vulnerability. Yet at the same time, as we're learning now with, with coronavirus, that vulnerability is typically paired with opportunity for a, a new perspective. Mm-hmm. So, what are the what are the perspective shifts you often find working with pregnant women?
0: Yeah, I, I, and I, I think that's really helpful to to put that forward as well. So it's it, it can be a, a time of new appreciations of of um, valuing it as almost as I suppose any transition is a, as a new stage to actually go through how one might have looked at things before. There's lots of studies that that might mean that one becomes more introspective during the time of, of pregnancy and are more reflective in that way. Um, one might go back almost to a period earlier in one's life and kind of be reframing through. So it's a new opportunity to, I suppose, review and reflect and and shift and change and and family um families can come close um, with one another as well it can be bonding experiences it can bring further intimacy and understanding and empathy through through the difficulty so all of those things those are the hopes of those shifts and and noticing the 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 small things the, the the things that are you know perhaps not recognized before in the in the small moments that one has with one's baby, you know, what one has with one's family. Though those things they are shifts and they are appreciations and they are new opportunities that, that can come through the process as well. Um, I just it, it has that balance of, of knowing that things can be difficult and also knowing that there can also be yeah you know, big appreciation shifts in, in life at that time. It's knowing both. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. And of course, you're in a particularly interesting situation in that you're working with your pregnant patients, and now for the first time are pregnant yourself. Mm -hmm. So how has that influenced your work?
0: Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I, I've I've been really mindfully looking up on lots of uh, previous reading and everything else around this area, and I've talked to my supervisors around it um, this a lot, thinking about it. So I, I was very reflective of knowing that it 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 will have an impact <laughs> beforehand. I guess I, I guess from looking through things there's a lot that as I say with that being an introspective period one can focus on on the pregnancy and and that can have impacts in in different ways uh, one can have heightened insight and an awareness and one can also um, potentially not be as open to, to taking um, understandings in as well um, there's there's some things that come up around that particular elements in therapy one might shy away from, understandably so, for for it being difficult to hear certain experiences. I I guess on a personal perspective, I I very much uh, remember around my 12 week scan, I had a very uh, strange situation that I had three separate couples that were describing to me having lost babies early in their pregnancy and have identified it at the 12 week scan and I had this the week before my 12-week scan, and I and I, and I thought this is unbelievable to have, have, have had all of these these separate couples coming forward to me at this time talking about this experience, and there's there is a lot there in in literature thinking about transference, countertransference, the the, the feelings that we may have to patients, the feeling that patients may have to, towards us that these. These things can be heightened, um, you know, around the time of seeing someone's pregnant. But you very much wonder when you're not showing and you are in the early stages, how how people would necessarily have any concept of that. But your sensitivity, definitely, um, for for that experience was it was it was really difficult. It was really difficult um, hearing, and I, and I I really hope I was open and and went into those experiences as as clients needed me to do at that time as was helpful for them Um, but it's with all with all relationships you think how you know there's this model of supervision seven eyes of supervision you know where am I where is the client where is their past experience where are my past experiences what is the wider context we're in all of these kind of factors and 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 I guess there are added layers added when you are going through the pregnancy yourself and um, there's that an a change to the dynamic that you have with the clients if you're hearing those stories coming forward to you it's It adds an increased empathy that that will come out it also has a a difficulty of, of wanting to perhaps stand back from from hearing certain things and 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 then there's the level i suppose. On self-disclosure, because that's a big thing within therapy anyway. Of being thoughtful around when, when you know, might you say or not say something personal about yourself? You can't hide the fact that you're sitting in a therapy chair that that you you're changing shape, and, and someone can see that. So how how do you how do you manage that when you're talking about it? How do you manage thinking about that? You know, being mindful of you know those parts that I described before what what may they be thinking what might that be bringing into the space um so i i guess personally I, I can recall some some points that it has it has really been difficult it has really been making me very thoughtful i've been very thoughtful thinking on what might this mean for the person in front of me during during this time too seeing that that there might be all kinds of fantasies and ideas coming up for the individuals um, but yeah, it's 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 lots and lots of lots of different ways that it, it can have an effect, and 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 I and I guess a lot of hope going to the other side is that you said Alex as well. Like, I, I guess hopes coming forward too, appreciations, values, um, look, looking in that introspection to um, a new stages coming up for myself, and and you know that being. A, Um, An exciting time at the same time as feeling anxiety provoking and and having natural effect that way.
1: Yes, I think one of the perennial problems in the therapeutic relationship is the balance between empathy and sensitivity. And then on the other hand, being vulnerable to the very difficult material that can often come up in, in therapy. For any therapist, let alone someone who is in a state of transition, as you are, and therefore that that sensitivity and empathy, empathy is heightened. But then again, so is this vulnerability to dealing with material, which isn't always the easiest. Uh, at the same time, I imagine it must be quite empowering for you that for the first time when dealing with your, your pregnant clients, you can have an attitude of been there, done that. Of I have now experienced this and and that I would imagine would really make you more steadfast and confident in 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 dealing with those kinds of patients. Is that right?
0: I, I, I guess coming into again the going through an experience yourself brings more insights through through having an experience. And I'm so mindful through all, all the different experiences I've had, how unique that experience again may be for, for the other the person um the other family um and and i suppose a core with therapy i always think is is trying to utilize that empathy um at the same time as not putting your narrative your script on on the other the other person so i you know i, w- I will look at kind of points that i've had where i've you know the less kind of glamorous moments that people don't talk through where you throw up in your mouth on a tube tray <laughs> As you as you travel into work and and you you you're told you're beautifully tired um, by a work colleague, uh, you know, and they they attribute that to the fact that you manage, you know, fifteen different um, roles anyway, and you think, well, you don't know that I'm also uh, ten weeks pregnant, <laughs> um, but but at the same time, it it's it's absolutely puts you into the perspective of well, what unique experiences there there must be for, for others going through this and just being very sensitive to not name that that what you're going through is what that the other person is is definitely going through because mm-hmm. you don't know um, and and I think the experience makes you more aware of more areas that you didn't understand or didn't know before i guess that gives mm-hmm. an understanding but it doesn't ever give you the full picture
1: yes and i think it's that's quite a wise approach to with increasing knowledge and experience, to actually be more doubtful and, and less certain, and maybe have an increasing comfort with uncertainty rather than to make claims that you have some sort of ultimate knowledge about an experience just because you've you've had a version of it.
0: Absolutely. Uh, with more with more experience, I I become more aware that that I have no experience. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. And, uh, i i jest around it but i think that that is a a really important thing for us all to be careful around Mm -hmm.
1: what are some of the problems that relationships frequently run into when when couples are expecting in your experience
0: yeah so so i I guess i'm I'm viewing this in two hats in another way now as you say but again not putting my experience onto it um i think for for what I've, i've seen it's it's I, I guess a, a core cool thing I I would put is not to focus purely just on mum because um, partners present too in in this they they're going through a lot of change themselves. Uh, there's there's something around uh, adjusting around say a dad going through the same symptoms as as mum. And with more evidence that emerges, they actually have found that the hormones for men can vary around the time that a woman 's pregnant as well and I've, I found that fascinating that that their um, oxytocin levels go up just due, due prior to the birth um, and so how do we know that they, you know a partner isn 't experiencing some of those physical symptoms at the same time as experiencing the, the massive shifts um, that are coming forward of course they would be um, and, and I guess it's it's a ch- time of, of ultimate change so if, if you're looking at core kind of things that may be coming forward in in the first um, promises that there might be a lot of thoughts on what's it going to be coming up to the first scan what does it mean about us um not saying or saying to other people around this what might it bring up for for other people in that experience what does it mean around looking at you know into into the second trimester around what will the scan mean then is the baby going to be healthy then you know what does it look like about us being parents what new roles might we have what kind of mum am i going to be what kind of dad might i be what you know what what does it mean to kind of go into those transition periods um what does it look like as you're coming closer thinking about the birth and concerns around what the birth might look like so there's there's all of these potential concerns that that may be uh coming forward and unique ways of i suppose readjusting to to those um elements as as going through so you know what it means around the fact that you know, if, if you can't pick up more things and lift and, and your partner is going to be taking on more household um, bits in the house, how do both of you feel around that shift? What is your traditional, you know, have you got traditional role systems? What what kind of dynamics might it be shifting for you? It it brings up a lot of reflection on one's own parents, on, on actually what their experience may have been like. What was their journey? Are reflections can come up in, in that way. What's I mean about the parent I may be compared to the parent I observed, but compared to the family of the, the partner that that I may have, compared to you know if I'm more isolated, if I don't have those wider connections for myself, what what is as what is the future going to look like because it could merge in so many different ways, um, and then I guess is just thinking well if going later into of having that you know having a child, there's there's the natural shift then of you know, baby blues are are going to come forward because hormones will, will shift for, for women, and that's before we even think about a, a depression or anything else. There's sleep deprivation. There's, um I think, a, a core th- thought on on actually with with mental health too is is really delineating between physical symptoms and emotions that come up because it's very difficult to cover in this period what what does the physical changes of the pregnancy and after just represent aside from these might be changes that would otherwise represent uh, mental health so there's lots of of changes and transitions and stresses and factors that come, come forward and I guess couples in those situations may respond in in lots and lots of different ways um to that of of trying to say do of trying to um perhaps finding it hard to talk about it, to acknowledge it, um, you know, family, everyone has an opinion during pregnancy. I think that that's a, a really big factor that comes in. Um, and everyone has different information. And And I, I think this is one of the real portions I have currently in a pandemic of what it looks like anyway for pregnant women and for women for an after birth. The number of women I've seen where they say, one health visitor told me this and the GP told me that. And then my mum had this perspective and I was thinking when I read this article here or that book there, that perhaps I should do this. And then two people in my NCT group, they said that this was a better way of managing it. And how do you contain all of that different information coming forward to you and expectations coming across? And I think a big thing that can bubble up for people is, am I good enough? You know, what... What is my role now? Am I an imposter in this situation of being a mum? You know, imposter syndrome can come up fourfold of I'm taking on this new role. What does it mean now in this position for me? And and it's accepting that all the other experiences and roles are brought into becoming a mum. And it's at the same place, a completely new stage and step that's that's being brought up.
1: Yes, I think th- the feeling of I'm, good, I'm not good enough is something that it's a real indicator of where you're vulnerable. And I think in times of stress, times of stress really push on those vulnerable aspects of anyone. And I think that I'm not good enough feeling is a really common sort of red flag that these are bits where you don't feel so secure for whatever reason, be it a point of transition. Like pregnancy or, or for any other reason. I, I imagine, you know, infection and this pandemic, it's, it's so, it's so primal. And I wonder how many, obviously, women are feeling very anxious, understandably. I wonder how many men in expecting couples are feeling very helpless mm. and very, very scared that they're not going to be able to adequately fulfill that protector role for, for, their, for their partner. Is that something that you've encountered?
0: I think uh, it can be in a variety of ways where where a partner feels how that, as I say, how it changes, relationships change in so many ways across this this time of of what it means around intimacy changing, sex, you know, the relationship that way changing, what it means about role sets changing. Uh, You know, there's there's a lot of change in relationships that, that come up. And then if you add into that, a pandemic, it, it, it put up, we see, it puts that added there of well what what does it mean now? How how am I as a partner identifying myself? Am I an imposter as well? Yeah, you know, am I a good enough partner um to try and support uh, you know, and and I guess yes, absolutely that that can come forward full force because it's I'm My you know my partner, he's he's going through his own um, transitions at the moment with what it looks like for work, for finances, for stresses there. So the worry on how to support is multifold. It's you know it's it's thinking on what does it look like for me. Um, with With my partner making sure that i'm keeping social distance that i wouldn't be the person that would come back and and you know potentially pass this across to to her you know what would that mean that's one layer. What does it mean that we're going to financially be able to ride through through this as well economically how can i support there are lots of of different ways that there may be worries for couples on what the support's going to look like um and again i suppose with the core of this it really comes across to that communication to the discuss with one another how you both may be feeling vulnerable uh what the needs are looking like for both of you and how to support one another through the time
1: mhm so in terms of what people can do we discussed being careful with intake of news you know taking enough to be informed but not so much to worry you unnecessarily and we talked about exercise we talked about open vulnerable communication i've found mindfulness meditation to be quite useful as a coping strategy do you have much experience with that uh,
0: so i i started a yoga training uh, at one point as well um, so i've heard lots of um, different things mindfulness i think is is very very helpful um to have that space again it offers Another time to be present, to, to ground oneself, to, to give oneself a little bit of, of space that way. And obviously there's, there's, that's another resource that one can go through now with Headspace app as, as something that's available as a practical thing to, to kind of connect into. But yes, I, I guess all of the things that we think on before the pandemic are very, very helpful for well-being. So NHS five ways of well-being: connecting with others, learning from others, um, taking notice, which I suppose comes into to mindfulness. The, the, the focus on exercise um, that, that you would have. Um, I'm trying to think of the last one: uh, giving out to others, giving out to others. So you know, I, I guess coming back. To to the things that we would, would have looked at before to help with well being, it's really really important that we keep a focus that way during during this time on what we would have had um, before that we know before, um, and also to look after one's physical mental health in the way that that one would have before. So s- still having making sure that we we keep the same health checks on for ourselves and and, and I guess for for mental well being for mental health being aware and be, and noticing early to get support early um, from other people.
1: In talking more about mindfulness, those I think the apps you mentioned like Headspace, Calm are, are very effective. We, in the past few weeks, put a couple of free meditations on our podcast, actually a 10-minute session and a 20-minute session for anyone that wants to check that out. How would you explain mindfulness to a skeptic? Because I'm not a skeptic, obviously, but... How would you explain to someone who doesn't have any experience with this, how, you know, sitting alone with your breath can be helpful psychologically?
0: Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Um, I, I guess people can have um, the, the common misconception of, of doing mindfulness wrong, of, of thoughts coming forward during mindfulness. And, and I guess it's saying what it's not that that's that's perfectly natural for thoughts to be coming up um, as you're going in to practice. Uh, but, but, having I suppose that space to pause and and take notice um, and that that can be very, very helpful i suppose it it can in a in a mindful there's different lots of different practices in a mindful moment if you imagine that you 've just had something that you 've experienced as stressful, you could see that it would be immediately removing uh, one 's fight flight mechanisms and and actually bringing oneself back into one 's body at the time i 've used mindfulness before if if we 've actually been perhaps just describing something that's brought up a lot of emotion in the room. Sometimes it's to actually just reground somebody into into the therapeutic space of, of focusing just on the breath and, and where they're they're positioned in the room and those kinds of things being immediately helpful. In a longer um, standing way from the research that I suppose, that is coming up, it can have such a, a myriad of, of different effects for, for helping well being, not only in, in decreasing stress and anxiety um, through that focus, and, and there's a lot of research coming out there, but even in helping memory and learning. So I suppose... That you know, there's no um, outcomes that are beneficial of having this practice. There's no application of it being helpful in an immediate way. Um, and I guess, though, so my one point would be just to try it because um, uh, I suppose it's the experience of it which makes you know. And that's probably why any mindfulness um, training that people go into say that people should uh, try to have mindfulness regularly for like over a year or something because it is the experience of it's, of itself that actually shows you the benefits.
1: Mm -hmm. I think what you mentioned at the start is really important that I think a lot of people try mindfulness meditation, they find thoughts coming up and then their immediate response is, I'm having these thoughts, therefore I'm failing at meditation. But in reality, the the real victory with meditation is to simply notice again and again how Mm -hmm. easily your mind can be distracted and derailed by thoughts. And to get better and better, to get better and better at not being distracted, and that really being lost in thought is somewhat akin to being in a dream and and not knowing that you're dreaming. And so, your ability to continually recognise that and wake yourself up, as it were, is crucial. And and then, of course, what you mentioned about disabling that fight or flight is so important because often we're in that fight or flight mode, aren't we? If we're in a stressful work situation, or a stressful situation with a partner, and actually being in that mode and the behaviors that's going to lead to, like very reactive behavior, like saying something that you're later going to regret, or making impulsive decisions is often not the right thing to do at that time. So having a tool that can disable that fight or flight response and lead to a calmer, more, more, more grounded response, it's shocking how incrementally over time that can Im- improve your your quality of life yeah
0: no it's, uh, I agree with everything you just said Alex
1: <laughs> um Dr. Tooley I've taken up a lot of your time but is there anything else you'd like to make people aware of or any other advice that you have for couples expecting couples or just anyone that's feeling unusually anxious at, at this time
0: from from more dissemination, we're we're doing a, a couple of um, videos around well-being. So I'm running a, a pregnancy and well-being video, and and also my team's running well-being at home. Um, so those are a couple of things that that come up with. Things there. there's i suppose signposting just to other places as well so again it's to to re-emphasize nhs the, the five ways of well-being and, and looking up on that relates um have written a few things up around covid too for, for healthy relationships um i i guess with within all of those things that the the key comes again to to communicating so if if I were put across to couples now and and pregnant, it's it's thinking that there's a little bit of space also put in into the day um, regularly to check across about what difficulties will be coming up. So I'd re-emphasise that again. Um, and I guess perhaps also having mechanisms around conflict management as well. So, you know, naming if, if, you know, having a process to name around conflict before it it comes forwards. And then at the time that you have a sentence or a phrase to say, um, you know, you're recognising anxieties coming up so that you can step back from, remove yourself from the conflict at the time. But we come back to discuss how things might feel difficult on another day. We tend to need about 90 minutes to de-escalate ourselves. So, if having you know conversations in the morning or the evening um when we're hungry angry late tired all those kinds of factors a bit more difficult and i guess on basis of communication i statements over you statements and non-judgmental phrases you know how we we word our language just being mindful of of that at this time as well that they're small little tips that that may be Helpful, but really connecting to to others, I guess, can also come in lots of different forms. So for for mums to be and for partners, it's also there's MCT groups are going online, so there are different um, access kind of points there, and and it's still thinking of our social connections, how we obviously do the practical bits of, of phoning and and skyping and, and making sure that we um, you know keep in contact both with healthcare our healthcare teams and with with the people that we care about.
1: Great, so we'll put those resources that you mentioned in the show notes. So anyone that wants to access them can access them there. I normally towards the end, I give my guests an opportunity to ask me a question if they happen to have one with variable results, but do you happen to have any questions for me?
0: Uh, I, I guess with your own interest in, in running this, this podcast as well, whether I suppose there was anything coming in before having this conversation, that that felt important for you to think about, and and whether there's any kind of lasting question coming up now at the end.
1: I think it's interesting. So obviously, this this is a podcast that's primarily oriented around mental health, and you know that's what our episodes are about. When this started happening, it felt like if you had a channel of information, that all of a sudden it became quite relevant and pertinent to contributing in some way, it felt silly to do a, a podcast about anything besides this topic. And so we did we, we did a very brief episode just explaining literally modes of some information about the virus itself and about the rationale behind social distancing. Then we did, like I mentioned earlier, a couple of mindfulness meditations just to uh, give people some tools to help them deal with it. And then the last episode was this very clear medical perspective from an infectious disease doctor in Scotland. And now, you know, I think there's obviously there's so much source of information out there. Now I'd like to get back to focusing as we did on this episode as how, on how these events interact with our minds, with our mental processes and not only how to deal with the the hardship, which is self-evident, but also what are the hidden opportunities for growth because i think b- behind every psychological problem is an opportunity for growth and that's that's why i'm making episodes like this so that we can try and maximize that opportunity and be kind of distribute information that isn't just about surviving but also about growing past the experiences growing past the difficult experiences that we, we have on, on a regular basis
0: that's lovely i think that's a a lovely way to and alex is that it's yeah it's being human isn't it it's trying to have that space not just a survival but of flourishing and and self-actualization and and a, a bigger kind of focus for us all to kind of grow into mm-hmm. ourselves
1: mm-hmm. well dr tuli thank you very much for your time uh, stay safe, stay well, and uh, best of luck with your patients and with your pregnancy.
0: Thanks very much, Alec. You are listening to The Thinking Mind Podcast.
1: If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd love it if you share it with a friend, or you can give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you fancy it, you can even buy us a coffee to support the team, and the links for that will be in the show notes. Thanks for listening.